Welcome to Media Roots Radio. This is Abby Martin. And this is Robbie Martin. Welcome, everybody. Thanks so much for all your donations, for all your feedback. We're uh, really excited about how much support the last couple episodes have been getting you guys. Thanks a lot. Yeah, it's been really encouraging. Our last QAnon episode and our last Russiagate episode are, are doing really well, and it's exciting. We're going to continue to pump these out. And we oh, might yeah, actually man. be doing some exclusive uh, Patreon content for the first time, but we're going to keep it a little bit more on the light tip because we promised that um, anything that's really important to hear from us will be uh, will be free. When we do a Patreon exclusive content, it'll be a little bit more of the light variety, but there's been people who've been wanting us to have more discussions like that. So um, stay tuned for that as well. Yep, we're going to release a little exclusive bonus content just talking about more lighthearted stuff like movies, music, uh, even psychedelics and stuff like that. So stay tuned. But yeah, all the news heavy topics we're going to be putting out for free, of course, because we know that that's very important. Oh, I just wanted to give a little update. Some of the media appearances I've done recently, if anybody wants to check them out, I was on the Parallax Views podcast, which is a two-parter. Uh, the second part of it, I got a chance to talk all about my music, which is pretty fun. I haven't released anything since 2014, so it was a good opportunity, fun for me to talk about that. And then also Global Research Podcast um, had me on to discuss a very heavy agenda and the neocons. Um, so check both of those out. And then Struggle Sesh um, Podcast, which had actually both me and Abby on in the last month or so on different episodes. So I'll also check that out as well. Um, I was just on Moderate Rebels Radio, but I don't know when that's going to come out with Max talking about all the censorship stuff, which we're going to get into more here. We we briefly touched upon it in the last episode, but that was kind of right after that Facebook purge of those 32 pages. So in a little bit after the headlines, we're going to get more into the weeds of what in the hell has happened since, because it's a lot. So um, Aretha Franklin's dead. And I know that this is huge news everywhere, so I don't really want to get into it too much, but I just didn't know she was so radical. I thought it was really cool hearing about how um, incredibly supportive of the civil rights movement she was. She posted bail for tons of activists. She literally funded the movement um, for years. She toured with MLK across the country. She performed at his funeral. She was very close to Jesse Jackson, who said that several times she actually helped secure the finances uh, for literally to continue their efforts several times. And she was always kind of behind the scenes doing that. So I just thought that that was really amazing. Uh, speaking of Jesse Jackson, I, Max was reminding me how much Jesse Jackson got destroyed by Al Gore um, during that election. I mean, we, we talked about how insane it was that Al Gore even ran with Lieberman, who's mm-hmm. just this crazy pro-Israel warmonger. You know, everyone talks about, Who well, turned into one of the most if, extreme neocons after yeah. the 9-11. Yeah, and everyone says, well, if only Al Gore won. Apparently, Al Gore winning would have changed the entire course of history. But looking back on it, it seems like actually not that much would have been different. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's that that's always been a hard one for me to wrap my head around because had 9-11 happened and Lieberman and Gore were in office, what would Gore's cabinet have looked like? The hardest thing to say would be would be that he would have had over 17 PNAC members in his cabinet. But 
Lieberman, as we know, basically became one of PNAC's biggest allies because he was yeah. a Democrat and continues to this day to be like one of the most hawkish Democrats. So it's a really interesting thought experiment to see what would have happened. Mm -hmm. They had the same strategy that almost Clinton does today, like like find a really milquetoast, almost Republican-esque candidate to run with. Totally. I mean, Al Gore, of course, had rebranded the, the Democratic Party with Clinton to be that mm -hmm. moderate Republican mask anyway, so... Yeah. And, and this is something else I forgot to mention on the last podcast. Someone who I don't know personally in real life, but someone who's close to my heart um, passed away last month. Um, his name was John Schnepp. He was one of the people involved in Metalocalypse, the, the Cartoon Network show. He worked on Space Ghost. Um, he directed the first few episodes of the Upright Citizens Brigade comedy series. He tragically passed away from a, a, sh a stroke. Um, it, was, it was a total shock to his family and all of his colleagues. And he died about a week later. And it was just very sad to me personally because I had watched his videos every day. He was one of the most like nerdy plugged in guys who would, you know, in, in terms of like superhero movies, he made a documentary that inspired me a lot called um, The Death of Superman Lives, which is kind of a fun curiosity of a documentary, which is all about how Tim Burton after Batman Returns was going to make a Superman movie with Nicolas Cage and how it never actually got off the ground. And the whole documentary is about all that, all the behind the scenes. It even shows Nicolas Cage doing test footage where he's wearing the Superman costume. So this guy, John Shep, managed to put together this documentary from a Kickstarter project. And it honestly kind of inspired me to like, I can, you know, I can make a documentary after seeing what he did. Yeah, it's a, it a big tragedy, perhaps not as big as Aretha Franklin, but he, he had a big influence in my life. And um, I'm very sad. How old was he? Um, I think he was 53. Jesus. Or so. Yeah. And I saw some other celebrities tweeting about him, like Tim Heidecker said some nice things and some other people, but he's just not a very well-known figure. So, but yeah, it's, it just is really sad to me because it's like, um, yeah, he was just this nice, happy, just full of life guy um, who just had so many fun things to talk about like every day. And I used to watch his videos every day. So it almost feels like there's a part of my day now where I'm like, oh man, I would have been watching John Schnepp around now and, you know, now he's gone. So. Wow. Um, I had no yeah. idea how, that he had his hands in so many projects and stuff. That's really unfortunate. It's yeah. crazy when people die that young. And then meanwhile, just Kissinger is just trolling around. still. it's like, why? I know. And George uh, Bush <clears throat> Sr. is still alive. Crazy. Shit. Like what, what are we doing here? Like what is going on? Yeah. Uh, and then what, and then did you see, I want you to explain this. I mean, I'm really confused because I saw briefly the AP reporting that Trump had announced that Russia was responsible for the Skripal incident and that they were slapping sanctions, more sanctions because of this. Yeah. Well, this is really interesting because it's more of the same weird dynamic that's playing out where Trump didn't actually say anything to the press. He didn't like make a statement about it, which is obviously what Theresa May and all these other uh, people Macron wanted him to do like months ago because they all made statements about it. You know, they all, br they all rolled that in, sub in terms of the um, subject material of that into their reasons why they're bombing Assad's forces. So it's bizarre that Trump actually did this. His administration did this, put this new sanction in place as a result of this Gripal's attack, uh, alleged attack. But Trump himself is still not saying anything about it.
Incredible. So that continues that same trajectory that we've been seeing where it's like Trump is trying to act nice with Putin and rhetorically act like he's very friendly with Russia, but all the actual policies are actually more hawkish than the Obama administration was towards Russia. So Incredible. It's, very, it's very strange. It's peculiar. Wow. Uh, Julia Eoff, is that how you pronounce her name? She's just Loff. another... Julia Loff. Uh, Loff. <laughs> She's just another Russiagate-obsessed journalist who not only is obsessed with Russiagate, but she's also obsessed with smearing Jeremy Corbyn as an anti-Semite. Yet mm-hmm. she hangs out with Richard Spencer. This is what's so hilarious to me. Like these journalists love Richard Spencer. They just love yeah. to write about him. They love to hang out with him. But um, yeah, so Julia Loff, uh, you know, she tweets constantly about Russiagate. She's, she hates the left. And then she, you know, calls Corbyn an anti-Semite. Yet I mean, it's just amazing to me that these people literally hang out with Richard Spencer. I mean, I would not get in a selfie with him. I would be like, fuck you, you disgusting pig. Like, yeah. why are you just like smiling with him and being like, oh my God, this is so funny. And she's all red faced. So how many drinks yeah. did she have? Like, like Very four many or five? In. Yeah, tons. Um, so yeah, no, it's pretty, it's pretty disgusting. And also um, Oz Kajari um, was saying pretty much the exact same smear. So all yeah, these suspicious characters who are obsessed with Russia, who are obsessed with wanting to do regime change in Syria, they're somehow all obsessed with this idea that Corbyn is actually an anti-Semite instead of just being <laughs> anti the Israeli apartheid state. Yeah, and Oz Qadari claims that he's like pro-Palestinian stuff, but what's amazing is somehow he's just super focused on smearing Jeremy Corbyn, who is literally the closest like Western politician that is allying himself with the Palestinian cause and is calling out Israeli war crimes. Totally. So for people like Oz Qajari, who's clearly part of some bizarre operation to discredit the left and conflate them with like Nazis and stuff, and this whole idea of Russian imperialism, he I, I saw a video of him. He was interrupting some like Labor Party event, screaming about Jeremy Corbyn, and people were just booing him. I mean, this is what he's doing. So he's basically I, like the Jamie. He's like the new yes. Jamie Kerchick. Yeah. Except giving Jamie Kerchick a little bit more credit. Jamie Kerchick knew when to get in there and strike and run away. This guy right. is just out there all the time, crying all the time. Yeah, he's crying. Like, all he does is har- harass bitch. female journalists online. He yeah. harasses Rania. I mean, it's I blocked him. But clown. Yeah, it'd almost be giving him too much credit to say he's like a CIA agent. No, I mean, of course not. Yeah. No, he's but just he's, being an, he's an asset of some kind. But yeah. Just an example of how like what other people are also slinging this smear at Jeremy Corbyn, who are supposedly liberal, is founder of Wikipedia, Jimmy Wales, actually is tweeting stuff like, this is one of his tweets, 150 rockets fired at Israel by Hamas. Jeremy Corbyn's silent. So he's not directly calling out Jeremy Corbyn for being an anti-Semite, but he kind of is. And then he just kept doubling down on it. People were like, are you demanding that he that politicians condemn um, Israel when they kill children and, and execute 160 unarmed Palestinians. And he was just like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to expect people to like condemn every atrocity. It's like, well, what are you, what is this? I had yeah. no idea. Jimmy Wales was such a disgusting person. I, yeah, I implore everyone. If anyone is funding Wikipedia, please stop. Not only all the, the insane shit that we've talked about before with the editing process and Philip Cross. how, you know, Philip Cross, who's trying to delete any pages or modify them that are, you know, outspoken journalists against imperialism. But now we understand that this, the actual founder is a, is an apologist for the Israeli apartheid and, and Israeli war crimes. It's absolutely reprehensible. 
Yeah. I mean, I implore people. I, I still have arguments with people who are like kind of like internet geek culture people who got on Wikipedia very early to do a lot of serious editing, who still think it's a place for like truth and justice to like come through. I just cannot believe that people have fallen for the scam. I mean, anyone with enough power and time who knows how to very carefully follow these rules can just manipulate any page to spin it politically in any direction they want. And that's what we've already seen. So I just don't understand how people can defend Wikipedia and say that it's like a fair place. Oh, well, even the non-notability thing, I mean, to me is strange because your page was like deleted after you already had like a show on RT. So what, like, how does that not qualify as notability? I mean, just all these stupid rules that they can use against marginalized figures, and they do. Um, And people take advantage of those. I mean... And what's funny is, yeah, I see people who are completely not notable and they clearly have like written their own wikipedia pages and i'm just confused why those are able to stay up well you see that all the time and the reason why those stay up abby is because they're not controversial figures right so there are people who are waiting in the wings to remove pages and to like modify pages of people like you to make them look bad See, this is all part and parcel with the whole broader censorship, marginalization with these tech companies that has been happening for years. And this is kind of a non sequitur, but, you know, Denise D'Souza is getting all this publicity recently for essentially rewriting history to make everyone think the Democrats are the, are the actual <laughs> racist politicians in this country and that the, the Republicans actually, um, I, I don't even actually, I can't even sum up his bizarre thesis, but he's basically- I mean, it's so like ba- babyish. He just talks about the platform of de- the Democratic Party like a hundred years ago. Yeah. And and the and making it seem like the Dixiecrats were the Democratic Party. And, and then his new thing is basically to spin just like, you know, all these basically white nationalists have been trying to do to say that socialism is na- is what Nazism was. And it's interesting because Jonah Goldberg, um, the guy who's now the editor of The Atlantic, um, who's now part of this quote-unquote civilized resistance movement, he's f- former neocon. Um, I mean, former neocon's kind of a stretch. I mean, I, I say everyone's always a neocon. <laughs> but he once wrote a book called Liberal Fascism that had on the cover a little happy face wearing a Hitler mustache. And now he's like extremely upset at people like Denise D'Souza for going around and saying you know, that Nazism is socialism. And it's like, dude, your book fucking was pushing the same agenda before it became associated with these crazy right-wing white nationalists. And now you're trying to basically walk it back. And I find that really fascinating that these neocons, including even people like Bill Kristol, were going really hard against all this identity politics stuff like two years ago. And now they want to pretend like they're part of the liberal resistance. So they have to like go against people like Denise D'Souza and Cernovich and people like that, even though at one point, actually, they agreed with them almost everything they said. Yeah, they're probably just pissed that they're stealing their thunder and becoming more popular than them. You know what I mean? Like, he sees yeah. Dinesh D'Souza's, like, viral meteoric rise, and he's just like, oh, my God, like, why is this guy getting notoriety? He's, like, a joke. Totally. But he was saying the exact same things, just in a more, like, polished way. More polished way. And in, in some ways, not so polished. I mean, like, if you, re- if you look at his appearance on the—he actually went on The Daily Show with Jon Stewart to promote his book, Liberal Fascism, and it's pretty embarrassing moment where John Stewart just was in that mode where he wouldn't let him get any get any like leverage at all. What exactly was his premise? What is the liberal fascist premise for Goldberg? His pre- premise was about how like liberals demand 
censorship, I think. Um, I think that was his premise, but I, you know, I haven't read the book. I don't know enough mm-hmm. about it to really speak on it. I just know that it was very much trying to sensationalize the general concept that like the danger of fascism would come from liberals and not the right, which um, is ludicrous. Yeah, but I remember John Stewart, you know, kind of fondly only because Trevor Noah is so absolutely disgusting. Uh, <laughs> even though John Stewart was kind of bad, you know, I mean, we can go back to the rally to restore sanity. We can go back to many things that he did wrong, but just the fact that he actually did hold people's feet to the fire and Colbert, which was funny when he was interviewing war criminals and actually like addressed things and made them oh, embarrassed. Yeah. I mean, in character, like he'd pretend yeah. to be a neocon interviewing, uh, what's his name? Dan Senor. You know, yeah. like that was brilliant, absolutely yeah. brilliant. It, it really was. And so I really just can't believe where we're at, uh, where those people have been kind of neutered, removed. And now they're, you know, John Stewart's replaced with Trevor Noah, who the South African corporate shill. And I guess because he comes from South Africa, liberals give him a pass and they're like, he grew up under apartheid, but he's such a huge corporate shill. Um, first he apologized for the striker massacre in South Africa. There's this, this famous notorious massacre of miners that were on strike. His, his, his standup about this is unbelievable. You actually have to watch it to believe even that it's true what I'm saying. Yeah. He says, he's like imitating them too. He's like imitating like a black, like South African, like, um, person in the, you know, in, in these areas. And he's like, tear gas and rubber bolts are a waste of time. He's like, tear gas is a smoke machine. He's like, it doesn't prevent strikers. And he was like, no one even knows what happened. No one knows what happened. He's like, everyone has ideas about what the police should have done. He was like, why didn't they warn the miners? He's like, someone has a gun pointed at you. That's the warning. That's the warning. It's like, what the, what are you talking about? You're literally apologizing for a massacre of strikers. It's very yeah. easy to find out what happened, dude. So really? already I was just super disgusted with him about that. And then I saw him arguing with Omarosa from a right perspective about how Flint is fine. He was like, actually like interrupts her. It's really hard to make Omarosa look good, but he actually did because well, he interrupted her. Describe yeah. the exact interchange because like he didn't, in a normal interview context, you wouldn't even normally interrupt someone right, right there. That's what made it so strange. Just, just go through what he did really quick. Yeah, so Omarosa's talking about Flint, and she's talking about how people uh, still don't have clean water in Flint and how the government just mismanaged in in this huge, um, horrible scandal. And he interrupts her, and he's like, actually, uh, I heard that the water is fine. He was like, the government said that the water levels are actually acceptable standards. And then Omarosa like gets confused and she's like, if you have to boil your water, that's not acceptable standards. Obviously, you can't boil lead out of water. So she was dumb also in her response. But the fact that he actually interrupted her train of thought on a good note about that Flint still doesn't have clean water, which it does not, um, and actually corrected her and, and tried to just like state some government talking point about Flint being fine was stunning. It is stunning. And and I wonder if that has more to do with his own just weird neoliberalism and his like authoritarian apologism, or if it's just like they, that the daily show itself still has like weird think tank, like neoliberal people, like on their writing staff. I, I, it's hard to know, but I mean, maybe that is coming directly from Trevor Noah. It was a strange moment for sure. Well, I think Trevor Noah just got the job, just like Chomsky always talks about in terms of like how the media is actually controlled. And we always ask, like, how do, how do all journalists just like uniformly lie and cover up these things? It's not that they think that they're lying. They're, they're picked for these positions precisely because they believe 
in yeah. American exceptionalism, but they believe in these things and they believe in the corporate talking points. And so Trevor Noah is just a perfect example of why he's been propelled to this position. He toes the line and he toes it very well. And, you know, just go back to that weird incident with Tommy Lauren, where they kind of did that mock debate that everyone claimed that he like destroyed her when he actually didn't because he's terrible at his job. And then he was seen later in Manhattan just out drinking with her all night. And then she tweeted a photo of like these cupcakes that he sent her. And she was like, thanks, Trevor. Yeah, that was, um, that was pretty, pretty bizarre. <laughs> I mean, he, he just, I mean, and, and, and the reality is, let's face it, he's just not funny. Oh, on the Daily absolutely Show, horrible. and I think that it's pretty clear, even to like the neoliberal Hollywood type classes, like even the his fellow comedians, it's obvious they don't find him very funny. Otherwise, they'd be like posting his clips and stuff on Twitter sometimes, and you rarely ever see that. That really says a lot, I think. Um, there's a there's like a vast silence on on if people think he's funny or not, and I think it's just because people are just being polite. They don't want to bash him, but I, I have a feeling if you really polled even most of these generic neoliberal comedians, they would say, yeah, he's he is absolutely not funny. Yeah, I mean it's just offensive how much he toes the line. Yeah, I mean there really is no there's not a single TV show right now that's like a comedy political show that's even remotely biting or good besides the Lee Camp show. But should we get into this, all this Omarosa yeah. drama? Yeah. I mean, I guess I, we should start by reading Trump's tweet after it was revealed that she had leaked recordings from inside the Oval Office while she was working there. And Trump's tweet says, when you give a crazed, crying lowlife a break <laughs> and give her a job what? at the White House... I guess it just didn't work out. Good work by General <laughs> Kelly for quickly firing that dog. Um, so, wow, I missed that one. Jesus. Oh, you missed that one? So yeah. uh, once again, as you were saying, Abby, Trump reserves his most brutal insults for black people and women. Right. I mean, you didn't mention women last time, but it, I mean, like this is like, a, if this doesn't show you that he is genuinely misogynist, I don't know what will. I mean, we already heard the and pussy racist. grabbing tape. And racist, too. I mean, he, the amount of times he's called Omarosa a lowlife. I mean, Jesus Christ. Yeah, she's actually highly intelligent. <laughs> it, very, very, um, I mean, obviously just disgusting. And he, and he still can shock us, apparently. Like, I was, when I read that tweet, I read it. I saw it come up, like, within the second of when he tweeted it. I was just like, oh, holy fuck. No. I had like a visceral like body reaction. It was like, I cannot believe he's going there. Insane. So, t so give us the background on what happened. Well, I mean, Omarosa, candidate on The Apprentice, um, was one of the only celebrities hired inside the Trump administration officially. And she, quote unquote, resigned um, a few months ago, we know most of the time, you know, we've watched hundreds of shows and we know that when people resign, usually it's a firing of some kind, but it's done smoothly. You know, they want to have like a PR smooth exit. So she resigned. Um, but what came out apparently is that she has over, and this is what she's claiming now. This is not what she said at first, but um, she has apparently over 63 secret recordings made inside the Oval Office while she was working there. Of course, it's hard to gauge her 
level of like honesty and authenticity because she was constantly going out there saying that Trump was doing things for minorities and was really good, um, you know, while she was working for him, before she was working for him. And then now when she comes out, she says that he was basically a terrible racist, that the administration is a disorganized mess, that Trump is actually taking orders from Kelly. So she's saying all this shit now. It's actually, it's a little bit hard to fully trust what she's saying, but I think if she really has this many more recordings and she's really going to pose a threat uh, to the administration. Well, I guess the most explosive thing that came out of her saying or or releasing these recordings and uh, saying all the stuff about Trump now after she's left is that, that she claims that she has actually heard Trump saying the N word from apprentice outtakes. That's something that Tom Arnold has been saying for a while. Um, That's something that some other people have said. Um, and apparently Penn Jillette, uh kind of mostly confirmed that that's true. Not that she heard the tapes, but that he knows that Trump said it during the filming of The Apprentice. Now, Penn Jillette doesn't come out directly and say that, but he, he kind of does. And I'm, and I'm going to have to read to you the whole, his, just the segment from his interview so, you, so people can understand what I mean. And this is actually from uh, CNN. It's using quotes from a Vulture interview that Penn was in. Um, and he, and Penn Gillette says, he would say racially insensitive things that made me uncomfortable, Gillette told Vulture in an interview. I don't think he ever said anything in that room like African Americans are inferior or anything about rape or grabbing women. But of those two hours every other day in a room with him, every 10 minutes was fingernails on a chalkboard. Asked if tapes of Trump making those comments exist. You've heard him say, dot, dot, dot. Gillette interrupts, oh, yeah. And he says, yeah, I was in the room. And then he gives one example of Trump speaking about women in a, in a demeaning way, but declined to provide more specifics. Um, and Gillette continues to say, if Donald Trump had not become president, I would tell you all the stories, but the stakes are now high and I am an unreliable narrator. What I do as much as anything is I'm a storyteller and storytellers are liars so I can emotionally tell you things that happened racially, sexually, and that showed stupidity and lack of compassion when I was in the room with Donald Trump, and I guarantee you that I will get the details wrong. So hmm. he's being really careful, obviously. It sounds like if there are, I mean, if there are tapes of this, then they're probably going to come out eventually. Maybe? I Actually, I, I don't know. Because if they didn't well, come out before the election, I don't know. What do you think? It's weird that he just didn't say, yeah, I heard him say it. He's like tiptoeing around almost too much where you don't even know what the hell he's talking about. That's I think that if the tapes came out, just as we've always been saying that this was always a potentiality for a tape with him saying that would come out. And I still don't think it's going to affect him at all. I think it's going to be just a huge news story. They're going to try to make it a big thing for weeks and weeks and weeks. And Trump is, is either going to deny it that it's him or he's just going to ignore it um, and continue to do things behind the scenes as he has been doing. I just, I just don't see how this will actually affect him with his base. Well, it's definitely not going to affect him with his base. And I mean, I already saw some pretty funny but true tweets by people saying like, if this leaks, you know that the like right wing's talking point is going to be, why can rappers say it but Trump can't? Or like weird, like crazy oh talking points God. like that. Just like the monkey thing. They're like, why can't yeah. you talk about black people as monkeys? Yeah, you look can at, call white people monkeys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's gonna be it's gonna be just <laughs> as crazy. They're gonna go into like some weird contortion and actually run with it. 
So my God, it'll be interesting to see what their response is to it. I think it's funny that the White House, every time that someone leaves in this high profile way, they have this big denunciation of them. And they're like, this person's fucking crazy, disgusting, low life. Who's just yeah. trying to make money. It's like, well, why did you hire them? You cl- clearly were close with Amarosa for uh, decades. Yeah. Why did you, you know? hire her? You stupid fuck. If you thought <laughs> she like, was this bad, it makes you look like a moron. Yeah. They do this not all her. the time. Yeah. They always are just like, oh, we God, knew that damn. they were nuts the whole time. It's like, well, clearly not. You let her into your inner circle and she was able to obtain 63 recordings of yeah. your staff. I feel like he he actually like insulted Steve Bannon the least out of anyone mm-hmm. who left. He just, all he did I, was I, call him Sloppy Steve. I feel like Bannon is still somehow instrumental in Oh, in I do too. Stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Maybe that was an agreement. Uh, Coleman Hughes, he's one of the latest people in the intellectual dark web. He's a young African-American, I think, grad student who's been on Sam Harris's podcast. He's now given a ton of cred. This guy's now out there being like, Trump is not racist. There's no proof that he's actually racist. And people are like, what are you talking about? They're like, the birtherism thing isn't racist. And he's like, white racism is the belief that blacks are an inferior class of humans. He's like, birtherism was insane. He's like, yes, but racist? He's like, saying someone is, is an American is not synonymous with saying they're of an inferior race. And he's like, he just keeps going on and on and on. It's like, oh, okay, this explains why you're like part of this group now. Cool. That's Wait, great. Wait, Sam Harris was like nodding along with it or? Well, he just went off on, on this big thread on Twitter about defending that Trump wasn't racist. But I think that this willingness to defend clear, blatant racism is why he has been invited into the fold and the yeah. Sam Harris's and, and like why he's like now considered he's actually on the board of Quilliam now or a writer for them or whatever. Yikes. So it's just amazing. Did you see that thing? Um, speak to speaking of Sam Harris, where he um, was being interviewed by that former white supremacist guy who's like now like a Buzzfeed journalist or something. No. Um, and he was debating with Sam Harris and he got Sam Harris basically to admit that C- Stephen Molyneux was like a, quasi like fascist white nationalist really uh, but it was for sam harris's podcast apparently now what? other people in the audience recorded it and what sam harris did was he cut out all these different little sections like bashing stephen molyneux and then he explained later that it was because he had like a chat with stephen they like came to an agreement about something Oh, wow. Yeah, and he edited out these specific points where someone actually went through a video and found the specific points that he edited out. Like, oh, shit, like there's some weird relationship here where like Stephen Molyneux like reached into the Sam Harris world and he's like, you can't release you talking about me that way or or something happened. Doesn't want to go bad with his crowd, huh? Yeah. Too much crossover there. Because all of his crowd listens to that bullshit. Yeah, too much crossover there. Wow, incredible. Yeah. My God, did you see that stupid PR tour of him and Lauren Southern, like just getting yelled at by Kiwis and Aussies when they were like in their, they're trying to go speak about, you know. Aboriginals? Yeah. No, I didn't see that, but I, I, I've come to the belief that Lauren Southern is someone actually not even funded by right-wing billionaires, literally funded by like neo-Nazi organizations around the country. Right. She is one of, to me, one of the most blatant white nationalist neo-Nazi figures in this little movement. But she codes it very well, and, and that's how she's able to cross all these membranes to all these other movements. But it, to me, it's some of the most blatant. Because look, look at what she chooses to cover. Mm-hmm. It's all about immigrants. It's all about Muslims. What, do, what more do you need to know? 
Right. It's a fucking Nazi. I don't say that as easily as other people say it. So right. I really mean it with her. Unbelievable. Really quick side note. I saw my good friend Anya who works for RT. She went to the Helsinki Putin summit and she just described the state of the U.S. press, you know, when they came out of that secret meeting and then they had the Russia press pool and then the U.S. press pool and a couple questions were picked from each pool. They actually wasted their question to the president of Russia saying, have you seen the P-tape? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I don't know if they asked it quite that way, but they were essentially asking him if, if it was true and, and if he's yeah. seen it and has it over yes. Trump's head. yes. Yes. And then also just ask Trump when Trump picked on them, will you denounce Putin like right now? And it's like, what? Like, can you imagine actually asking that? If you go all the way there and you're in the press pool and then that's the question, like, does the tape exist and have you seen it? And also, doesn't that undermine the legitimacy of just like the U.S.? It's like if you really think Russia has this kind of blackmail, doesn't it make us look weak and stuff? I mean, it just nothing about it makes any sense to me. Well, it's very strange. I mean, because it's like they want to derail this attempted detente. And normally that seems like a crazy thing for the press to want to do to try to throw a wrench into a detente with another nuclear superpower. But it's like they've been, you know, and I hate to use the word manipulated, but they've been like manipulated and groomed into thinking this is the most important issue and that they're heroes for bringing this stuff up. Live to Putin and Trump's face at Helsinki. Yeah. That book by Nancy Bernhard, Cold War and Television Propaganda, talking about how all these reporters used to promote Cold War propaganda because they felt patriotic because they were like, wanted America to win the Cold War. This is a, the same kind of mentality. They think they're being heroic and patriotic. And they think Trump is tre treasonous, which is hilarious because I don't know if you want to go into Brendan now, but. Um, yeah, he actually had to walk back his comments saying that Trump was, was uh, had committed treason. He went on Rachel Maddow and said like, oh, you know what? I didn't really mean that, that Trump committed treason. I just said that his behavior appeared sort of treasonous. So, so talk about what the resistance is doing now. All of these people who are building up Brennan, who was the drone assassination operator for Obama. I mean, this is a guy who, who was overseeing this drone king program, which killed innocent targets 98% of the time, not to mention, you know, who even are the 2% that they claim did hit the intended targets. This is a psychotic CIA director. Um, not only that, but he also carried out a covert spying attack on the Senate Oversight Committee that was producing that report on the illegal CIA torture operations. Yeah, oh, he apologized exactly. later. So I guess well, it's all good. And this is, this is, keep in mind, this is after Bush. This is during ah. the Obama administration. We forget that there were Obama officials trying to cover up torture actively during his administration. And, that, and he is one of the key people who was trying to do that by spying on people whose job it was to investigate torture program. It's pretty, it's pretty crazy. And this goes along with a theme we've been seeing for over a year where all these liberal people and Democrats are embracing these former cops and spooks. Um, even Spike Lee was just shown wearing a shirt that said, God protect Robert Mueller. 
and and someone else, I think, as a CNN reporter, just said your reminder that Mueller, appointed by a Republican, was a Marine who served in Vietnam and who received a Bronze Star Disgusting. and Purple Heart. He was shot in the leg, but instead of going home, stayed and became an officer's aide. But the argument is being made that he's worse than Putin. It's like, yeah, dude, in our country, he's partially responsible for murdering up to a million Iraqis for lying about WMDs. He yeah. actively helped cover up the anthrax attacks. So to an American, yeah, he is worse than Putin because Putin's not doing shit to us. Yeah, Unless you think we this. were attacked by a Russian cyber attack like 9-11 at the election. So basically what happened is, is Trump revoked Brennan's security clearance because I guess former CIA directors still have classified security clearance after they leave office, which is a really strange concept because these former security officials go on television and go into think tanks and make money off of this knowledge that they have. So why is that system even allowed in the first place? That should be questioned. So what's hilarious to me is that once John Bo or sorry John Brennan had his security clearance revoked, the entire mainstream media and think tank intelligence class were freaking out, trying to force like regular people into caring about such an inconsequential issue that really nobody gives a fuck about. Like nobody cares that his security clearance is revoked unless you're in this class. So it's like they're trying to like explain to the American public like why we should be angry about him having a security clearance revoked and how unpatriotic and how mean this was due to Brennan. It's like nobody gives a fuck. So that's what's so weird to me. This is actually a, one of the only good things Trump is doing. I mean, he's doing it selectively just to political rivals. Why? Who cares if he had his security clearance or not? So it's just hilarious to me that now he's just more of a hero because he's like a martyr now that, that Trump is mean to him. And then I couldn't even believe seeing that other top cop, Peter Strazik, Oh, yeah. Uh, this, you know, this fired FBI agent who was working on the investigation into Hillary's emails. He was also part of the Mueller Russia investigation. Yes. He also claimed there was no quote there there with the Russian Russia investigation. He speculated that Guccifer was actually a Romanian guy. He hated Russians. He was a psychotic, xenophobic racist. Quote. Fuck the cheating motherfucking Russians. Bastards. I hate them. Quote, I think they're probably the worst fucking conniving cheating savages at statecraft, athletics, you name it. I'm glad to be on Team USA. Wait, what? Uh, I didn't even yeah. know he tweeted that. Yeah. Wow, no, that's... he didn't tweet it. He, he, this was like something oh, that no, came sorry. up. Yeah. Of course he didn't tweet it. Yeah. <laughs> In the midst of all of this, he's like, give me money. So... <laughs> So just similarly to like Clapper saying that Russians are genetically disposed to co-opt and penetrate. I mean, this is the kind of bizarre blanket xenophobia and racism against Russia that's just completely acceptable. And and apparently this guy's a hero too to the resistance. Um, he, you know, he apparently didn't accrue enough savings during his 22 years with the FBI, even though he was second in command of the FBI's counterintelligence division. So, of course, what does he do after getting fired? And we don't know exactly why he was fired. Um, it doesn't detract from the absurdity that all of these like liberals and resistance leaders lined up, as well as journalists and everything, lined up to promote a GoFundMe account that he created that within mere days he was showered with nearly $500,000. Um, you know, he's it. a top cop. 
He's corrupt as fuck because if you don't understand how the FBI um, is a disgusting criminal organization and it works to um, destroy and destabilize social movements and it has since the existence of the agency, then you probably should do a little bit of research. I mean, he probably already is a multimillionaire. I mean, how? that's what's so amazing to me. It's not like he needed the money. It's really problematic because all these liberals, people on, you know, who are technically on the left side of the spectrum, they're not leftists, um, are day by day embracing these figures more and more who are former intelligence, FBI, and, and U.S. government officials who normally should be looked at skeptically by, like, most intelligent people, just by default. Like, we're not... We're, we are... We should be in opposition to these figures, even when they're not in government. Just because they're going against Trump which we can all agree is a very hateable, terrible figure, doesn't mean we should join their team. And I think that's what's the problem is, is somehow they've carved out this landscape where it seems like that's like this team that everybody should join. And it does almost, it does feel kind of like psyopy in a way. And I don't, I, I, I can't really explain it beyond that, but it does, it just feels like the dialogue has shifted so much Um that's why I would, you know, it goes along with the scorched earth politics thing that I've been talking about. That the landscape has been so damaged by this Russia hysteria and all this stuff that if you say something about, like, even just being anti war in Syria, not wanting to overthrow Assad, I've already seen people trying to associate you with, you know, just pe- random people with white nationalists for that. And it's like, no, like, that's not how shit works. Like, how did we get here? It's it's it is frightening that like someone could just you know make a declaration like that and you're like wait a second like like so my whole body of work doesn't matter because I've, I've I'm criticizing a fucking cop right. who happens to be in opposition to Trump that's crazy you know you would make that accusation of me for that but it's that's where we are now and uh, that's why I say psyop because it it doesn't feel like this is organic. I mean, it feels like all these intelligence officials writing books and leaving the administration and, you know, after they get fired, c- coming out and creating this narrative, it does feel like it's a coordinated narrative on on their behalf. Yeah. And then it just emboldens and legitimizes the whole deep state narrative because it oh, just, 100%, it, it, it just, comp- just like the media, just like this uniformity of the media against Trump that, you know, aside from the Breitbart's and Infowars and Fox News is. What what else is that doing? I mean, it's basically solidifying that notion that there's these factions. One of them's good, one of them's bad. Um, whether you know, it depends on which one's bad or good. If you're in the Trump camp or or the Democrat camp, yeah. and um, the fact that liberals think that to oppose Trump means that you need to actually worship intelligence agencies, criminal agencies that have done nothing but destabilize, destroy, and actually murder activists all around the world. The CIA never went away. What the hell do they think that they're doing now through through regime change fronts like USAID, NED? I mean, this is happening on a daily basis. Maduro just had an assassination attempt against his life. And these liberals are just op- with open arms, not only praising them, not only have full trust in these agencies, but giving them money. 100%. Meanwhile, people are crowdfunding insulin. Yeah. And... And this idea of the deep state, I mean, you know, I'll hear people who I respect sometimes saying stuff like, yeah, the deep state existed like during J. Edgar Hoover era, like in the 70s, but it's like over now. It's it's a giant bureaucracy now and it's it's not anything like it used to be. And while maybe that's 
there's a kernel of truth to that. Like the actual, the idea of this like deep state, this continuing policy making apparatus that conducts things no matter who's in office, half of that apparatus is now in the private sphere. It's not like it used to be because it's evolved into something like even more dangerous now. This John Brennan thing is a really good example of what I w- was trying to say earlier is that all these officials that leave, they still have security clearance and they could use that knowledge to profit off of the national security establishment. That's a really bizarre thing that they're allowed to go into like think tanks and um, corp- like defense companies and stuff like that, and then use that knowledge, like still tapping into the national security apparatus and like getting CIA reports and stuff. And then a bunch of them are now running for office. Yeah. Like former CIA officers and stuff. And it's like, what is going on here? It's like, if people don't understand the grift of the war criminals and neocons who everyone hated a couple of years ago, they've rebranded themselves so well. And I just can't believe that people bought it. And someone like Spike... Lee. Spike Lee actually collaborated, um, and I don't know how this was discovered, but you can fill in some of the blanks, that he collaborated with the NYPD on a program at the tune of like $200,000. Yep, he was a paid consultant. Um, The NYPD's paid Spike Lee, one of its fiercest critics. You know, if the NYPD offered to pay me um, even $500, I would say no. So it's just really strange that they gave him 200 grand to help launch a new policing program aimed at improving relations. Uh, Wow. Why would you take that money, Spike? Why would you work with this organization? And just going back to Russia and, and celebrities who are getting in the mix with neocons, oddly, is the Rob Reiner, David Frum, joint founded think tank, the Committee to Investigate Russia, I kid you not. It's an actual oh, fucking institution. Mike, you know what? That's exactly what we need. Another committee to investigate Russia. Right? That's really of course. Great. We need we need dozens more. <laughs> um, this think tank uh, actually tweeted out false information saying that Russia actually reported the removal of Brennan's security clearance before Trump announced it. And then oh they had to go God. back and walk it back and say, actually, that was a mistake. We didn't mean that. So they're still trying to push this, not just collusion angle, but that like Trump is literally, his actions are being... <laughs> dictated to and he's actively collaborating with like the russian government at all times behind the scenes oh my god and then here we have Rand paul acting like trump's little bitch going out and and doing these back channel negotiations with russia because they probably on some level trump is probably trying to play a double game here where he's doing all these sanctions being actually more hawkish than obama on russia because that's what they want. They like the the you know the intelligence class, the think tank class, that's putting all this pressure on them. But then also trying to do these negotiations behind the scenes. Because look at what happened during Helsinki. So in some ways, I can sympathize with what that strategy is. But at the same time, like Rand Paul, you were just saying Pompeo and Haspel shouldn't get in there. And now what do you? You're just Trump's little courier. You're doing these? I don't, I don't know. It just I have really mixed feelings about it, but I just, I'm kind of just disgusted at Rand Paul, too. Oh, of course. I mean, for people who don't know, Rand Paul tried to get me fired for stalking and harassment for asking him a question that was, like, unsolicited um, while he was walking around Congress. So yeah. that's Rand Paul. So, yeah, there's just been a bunch of other, you know, paranoia still about Russia kicking around in the news that's... Some of it's getting buried in other headlines. Some of it's not. 
one thing that's that I caught recently was a CNN headline that I just saw most people mocking it that was titled, uh, this is the headline of the article, once the kids are tucked in, this Indiana dad spends his time hunting Russian trolls. Fucking weirdest article ever. And there's actually a, the article tries to paint this guy as being some kind of naive Trump supporter who was trying to fact check right-wing news about Hillary Clinton and he couldn't and then he realized it was Russian disinformation so then all of a sudden he turned into a Hillary supporter who fought fights Russian disinformation and an actual quote from him in the article says I had been consuming alt-right news for three to four years without even realizing it um what does that even make any sense to you wait was this the guy who was like obsessively like talking to spam and porn bots I for think like the so. last six months. And he was like, look, he's like, you can, t-. he like spends hours, if not days having these extended conversations with clear porn bot. But this guy somehow thinks that these are all Russian agents and bots. And he's like, look, he's like, you can see that this woman meant to say this. And he was like, but because English is clearly not her first language, she said this. And everyone's like, dude, the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> Get a hell? goddamn life, dude. Wow. So the fact that there's actually like articles praising this guy as a hero, like, oh my God, he spends his free time combating Russian trolls and exposing them. Really, really, It's actually really super weird. pathetic. He's mired down in porn bot arguments and conversations for his entire <laughs> life. Um, another update with the Novichuk incidents, because there's been multiple incidents apparently besides the Skripals. Tom Secker um, observed this uh, recently is... Originally, after all these like news stories came out, five people were uh, supposedly exposed to Novacek in the UK. And he says it's especially bizarre that both The Guardian and The Daily Mail only cite four victims. Both outlets have removed Nick Bailey from the official story for no apparent reason. So if anyone's been following the Skripals and the Novacek poisoning incidents, alleged incidents that happened in the UK... Um, one of the victims apparently has been sort of stripped from the official record inexplicably. So that's just another, you know, adding on to the pile of truly bizarre things with those incidents that were happening. But let's just sanction Russia more. Yeah, let's just do it more. And and Trump just did, apparently. (laughs) And then I guess the only other thing I wanted to discuss having to do with Russia... um, is uh, the, that guy Adam Carter, and it's not his real name is not Adam Carter, it's a pen name that he uses, um, was basically smeared in this weird Computer Weekly article that I saw being passed around by a lot of people on my social media feeds um, that is basically inaccurately claiming that Ray McGovern and Bill Binney had now completely distanced themselves or rejected all the research that he did after signing off on it. Um, in actuality, they were both taken out of context in the Computer Weekly article and still stick largely by the research that Adam Carter and his website put forward. So the Computer Weekly article, I did a little background research on the guy who wrote it, and it's actually written by a huge Bellingcat fan named Dun- Duncan Campbell, who spends two-thirds of the length of the article itself um, completely front-loaded with smears and insinuations that somehow Adam Carter's research is all a Russian cutout operation. Wow. Trying to distract people. Um, 
So I found that very curious that he didn't even spend most of the time in this Computer Weekly article, which a lot of people who read it are pretty knowledgeable people who would understand a lot of the terminology. He didn't even spend most of the article debunking the talking points. He didn't even spend any time debunking the main point of Adam Carter's research that I found fascinating that's never been debunked is why are the GRU fingerprints in the G2 documents, why do they appear to be deliberately inserted? Why would the GRU be this sloppy and stupid? Um, that that question has never been answered, mm-hmm. except for mm-hmm. people saying, "Oh, the Russians have terrible opsec." Like, look at these fucking idiots. So that's that really has never been answered. Why this, those fingerprints that didn't even have to be in there appear to have been deliberately inserted? So I just thought that was fascinating that people are now going after his website and trying to paint him as some kind of Russian front operation too. So. I guess Russians are just super dumb. You just say that you're a spy, you leave your fingerprints all over everything. Man, Russians are fucking dumb. Yeah, and the spies just get drunk and start talking you know, mm-hmm. to a table full of people at the dinner table about how they're a spy and stuff like that. So that's, the, that's what we're supposed to believe, which is kind <laughs> of almost the polar opposite of how Russians were portrayed in like old Cold War media. Mm-hmm. Like they were portrayed as like the most calculating high-level spies you would ever see in movies and stuff from, like, the Cold War era. So it's quite a bizarre difference, actually. You know, it's more in the Boris and Natasha cartoon kind of variety. Yep. Caricatures. Yeah, no, no, very, very interesting point. There's the dueling narratives where Putin is so strong. He's like this overarching villain that controls the world's largest empire. But on the other hand, they're just bumbling morons. Yeah. Who can't do anything right. Yeah. Nuts. Who can't even kill their victims, apparently, with Novichuk. I mean, yeah. like, the, one of the deadliest nerve agents apparently ever made. It's just strange. So many of these things are just are very, very strange. But, I mean, a lot of this, you know, Russia hysteria has created this this climate that we wanted to discuss about all this, what appears to be coordinated and a purge of content on social media and the internet. And let's wa- walk us through where we left off on the last episode, which was right after those 32 pages were banned. We've already been hearing everything about the Russian trolls, fake news. The social media companies were brought in to testify. Mark Zuckerberg had to go testify after that Cambridge Analytica scandal came out. You know, those 32 pages were removed partly by Atlantic Council's Digital Forensics Lab. Uh, Atlantic Council is a think tank operating out of D.C., um, that's funded partly by NATO and different defense companies. This is what's been happening for a while. So, the, I mean, I guess the larger issue with all of it is that it appears there appears to be a ramping up of marginalized and controversial political content on the internet as a whole, getting sort of censored or banned, or I, I don't know what other word you would use to describe it, but from from these platforms, deplatformed as well. And I guess it requires just a little bit of backstory of how this all got started. And I think you can go back to a paper that was written in 2014 by Michael Weiss and Peter Pomerantsev for, they wrote it for the Interpreter Mag, um, which is a U.S. funded uh, media outlet. And it's called, it's a, it's a very lengthy paper called The Menace of Unreality. And it's a think tank style paper that's sort of laying out a roadmap of how people in the public sphere and in the media sphere can fight Russian disinformation. And I would say it's arguably the framework for what a lot of 
later people followed on, including some of these companies. And then in 2015, Google was actually funding Bellingcat, who is a sort of crowdsourced forensics investigator who has no forensics training, who now actually works with the Atlantic Council as well. And, and Google was funding Bellingcat since before the 2016 election to fight fake news and Rus- Russian disinformation. Bellingcat was also being funded by groups like the OSF and the National Endowment for Democracy. Now, this is sort of the early iteration of fighting Russian disinformation and fake news before the term fake news became you know, widely used by people. And then I'd say the, mo- the next major event that happened was in November 2016, right before the inauguration, a mysterious front organization that was brand new that no one had heard of before that just came onto the scene called Prop or Not gets a huge mainstream media boost by publishing a blacklist of over 100 media sites, most of them alternative media sites, that they believed to be Russian propaganda outlets, which included Consortium News, Counterpunch.org, Global Research, Anti-War, and Black Agenda Report out of many, many other outlets. And a lot of the outlets they mentioned were actually Russian-owned media outlets and sites that I would describe as like fake news websites. But see, a lot of the ones they listed weren't, and they were left anti-imperialist websites. So that's why this is so dangerous. I think that that's kind of the framework for where we are now. And as we've been talking about forever on our podcast— They've been trying to paint the 2016 election itself as a cyber attack like 9-11 that got Donald Trump in office and we were attacked. And the trauma of that, I guess, has allowed this new climate of we need to crack down on all these, um, these voices now online because they're helping spread fake news or Russian propaganda. So... I think that's the framework that we should be looking at all these mass bannings in. But then it gets dicey because what happened recently is InfoWars was just banned in what seemed like a 20 and within a 24 hour period had all their Facebook pages closed down and their YouTube account taken down. But see, InfoWars and Alex Jones represents a unique case. It's not just a, an independent media or outlet that says controversial things. Alex Jones, he makes up a lot of lies about real people. He calls for violence. Some of the things he says could be classified as hate speech. It really creates a, a, a dilemma because while I do think that his banning happened in the framework of all this larger climate, I feel like even if you say that it's not because of organic terms of service violations, like you, you, you're going to take a lot of heat from people on the left who don't see this in that larger framework and who do think it is just because Alex Jones was too extreme and they had to ban him and, it's, and that's it. And if you think that that's bad, then you're like a fascist apologist or something. I'm, I feel very alone and kind of torn in all this because I can't help but see it in this larger framework. Yeah, when the Alex Jones mass banning happened, I mean, we're talking about Apple, Facebook, Google, and Spotify all at the same time. Um, That was very eerie. Um, He's been violating, I mean, if you want to look at violating terms of service, um, he hasn't changed what he's been doing for the last couple of years. So for this mass ban to be coordinated in that way, I found very spooky. 
And also, you know, at first I was like, you know, I'm, I don't think this is a free speech issue because of course tech companies do have the right to remove users from their platform arbitrarily. I mean, if they want to, but then you look at the Atlantic council and I think it's worth mentioning who actually sits on the board of this organization because the digital forensic lab of Atlantic Council um, is working with Facebook to determine which pages uh, and which accounts to shut down. And on the Atlantic Council's board is a slew of, of weapons contractors, as you mentioned, oil companies, um, actual U.S. military agencies and branches, NATO. Um, and then you have just a, a multitude of CIA officials and actual like um, military officials who have been serving in you know, spook agencies for a long time. So it actually becomes very murky. Um, You know, when does it become a free speech issue if government officials working in concert with defense corporations are actually determining what to shut down and what not to shut down? And, you know, all these people who said, you know, the Alex Jones thing has nothing to do with these other pages that were shut down. I mean, that's wrong too. So you saw a lot of things happen after the Alex Jones thing. You saw people just coming out in droves and in mass saying, this is great. And if you apologize for this or somehow defend Alex Jones, you're a fascist, you're a Nazi. Uh, The problem is, as someone who actually was written up in the intelligence report as quote unquote, fomenting radical discontent, um, I can see the slippery slope already completely in front of me. We've been on it for a very long time. So when senators like sitting Senator Chris Murphy from Connecticut comes out and says Infowars is the tip of a giant iceberg of hate and lies that uses sites like Facebook and YouTube to tear our nation apart, these companies must do more than take down one website. The survival of our democracy depends on it. Now, Anyone who's been following the Russiagate narrative knows that the Pomeratsov, like just the sowing discord. I mean, this is anything that is construed as not a centrist kind of liberal narrative. You are towing the Kremlin line. Talking about the NRA, talking about the take a knee protests, Black Lives Matter, inequality, talking about war crimes, imperialism. All of this is towing the Kremlin line. All of this can be seen under the umbrella of sowing discontent, of radicalizing, undermining democracy, talking about the two-party system. I mean, simply hosting a third-party debate was seen as some sort of Russian operation um, that was undermining the legitimacy of our democracy, which in reality, it was actually trying to preserve democracy by saying, hey, there's other candidates that actually can speak more to your values and moral compass. Maybe we should support these people who work their asses off to get on the ballot and serve as another choice from the two-party dictatorship um, of, you know, perpetual war. So, yeah, when I see people saying that shit, I, I become really suspicious. And, you know, it was really amazing to see the reaction because people were like, why are you even putting yourself in the same field as as Alex Jones. No, I'm not doing that. I'm just seeing where it's going. I see who's on the Atlantic Council and I see exactly that they want to deplatform us. Um, we already know what Google um, did preemptively for the government without there even being legislation. They deplatformed and deranked state media. It's virtually impossible to find any sort of reporting that is independent from the mainstream in Google search results. It's all catered selectively to you. These tech companies working with CIA think tanks are curating our reality. That's insane. And for people to cheer that on is sick, frankly. Um, 
you know, and, and, and this is just going off of uh, months, if not years of Facebook already explicitly admitting that they've deleted pages at the behest of the U.S. government following um, the removal of social media presence of several people, um, several Palestinian accounts. Um, I wanted to read a really quick excerpt from The Intercept. Facebook meeting with the Israeli government. The Intercept reports, the predictable results of those meetings are now clear and well-documented. Facebook has been on a censorship rampage against Palestinian activists who protest the decades-long illegal Israeli occupation, all directed and determined by Israeli officials. Indeed, Israeli officials have been publicly boasting about how obedient Facebook is when it comes to Israeli censorship orders. Um, yada, yada, yada. It says Israeli Justice Minister Ayelet Shaked said Tel Aviv had submitted 158 requests to Facebook over the previous four months, asking it to remove content it deemed incitement. She said that Facebook granted 95% of the requests. That's incredible. I mean, and, and for people who are like, oh, just get off Facebook. Facebook is shit. No one gets their news from Facebook. That's wrong. Um, yeah, a lot of younger people don't get their news from Facebook, but we're talking about a lot of older generations that do in America and also in Palestine. 96% of Palestinians said that their primary use of Facebook was for following news. A lot of them use Facebook. Um, so... I mean, Israeli officials have basically unfettered control over a key form of communication for Palestinians now. So, you know, after all this shit happened, the pages got shut down. And then you saw Venezuela analysis, um, one of the literally like one of the last vestiges of independent news that provides an alternative perspective about, um, you know, countering imperialism in Venezuela. That's extremely crucial. Um, that got shut down. Then you saw Telesur English got shut down for the second time, totally arbitrarily, and they actually never got a direct answer. They said, um, I'm, I'm reading from Telesur right now, they said, eventually after two days, our account was restored. We received mixed messages from the Facebook team claiming it was due to instability, explaining the company had to temporarily suspend our account. Um, blah, blah, blah. I mean, the message contradicts the first message that they claimed it was shut down for violating terms of service. So yeah. Uh, it's, you know, it's really murky. And for people who are cheering this on, it's just surreal that you actually think that Zuckerberg somehow has some altruistic bent that he's just going to really, you know, do the right thing here. We should just trust these tech companies. And there was a poll done of like, you know, young people like really have this undying trust in Google, Facebook, and Twitter as the purveyors of our reality. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I mean, I just f feel like it's going to get a lot worse. And unfortunately, the people who are cheering this on, um, they're not going to defend us. And, and unfortunately, unlike Alex Jones, who has this massive following who he could easily switch over to an app like yeah. he did and which he saw tons of subscribers automatically get on that app. We don't have that capacity. We don't have backups and archives of our work. We don't have the ability to switch over to an app and pull our audience over there. We don't have the, uh, the ability to become martyrs in the mainstream and embolden yeah. our base. We are going to be rendered invisible and obsolete and invisibilized even more so than we already are. And we're clamoring for this attention and trying to get an equal playing field. I mean, these tech companies started off as kind of this, this notion of egalitarianism. They were trying to reflect what the internet was supposed to initially be for, that anyone can have an equal playing field, that anyone can be you know, big and get their message out. And because we've implicitly put so much trust in these companies, we're screwed now.
there's really no way of going back. I mean, Matt Taibbi, I, I think even he said this in his article that they should have been broken up a long time ago into smaller pieces. And, and let's just going back to why, you know, this, this idea that, that, um, that Alex Jones suddenly violated the terms of service. I mean, the reality is these companies profited immensely off of people like Alex Jones for years and years. Yep. And they clearly had no problem profiting off of hate speech. So even people like Pamela Geller and others like that have said that they make uh, large amounts of income off Google AdSense. They can see the analytics. So, I mean, it, it, it it's very interesting when you actually look into how the algorithm on YouTube is designed, because I've even, even expressed this concern on the podcast before that when I'm doing research for things, like I'll click on, you know, like a Milo Yiannopoulos video or watch a Gavin McGinnis video, then all of a sudden my recommended results just get populated with that stuff. And and it's not, it's not something that I'm alone in noticing. Other people have noticed as well. Why, when you just watch a few of those videos, does all of a sudden your whole recommendations list get po- absolutely populated with that kind of shit? And it turns out that the YouTube algorithm is actually designed to boost stuff like conspiracies, like right-wing conspiracies, Sandy Hook conspiracies, anti-social justice warrior rants, and white nationalist videos. Why is it? Is it just for profits? Because it does seem like that stuff does generate a lot of hysteria and therefore revenue. It's sensationalist. So or were they just juking these algorithms for profit and it just happened to do this? I mean, but then, you know, then I sound conspiratorial saying that maybe this was by design so that it would need to be locked down eventually because they want to be regulated or whatever. It's it's really it is really troubling because now all of a sudden, because of public pressure, they're banning and saying Alex Jones violated all these terms of service. But they made so much money off of him before. That can't be taken out of the equation. So the timing seems arbitrary. But what's I guess what's more creepy is the, the coordinated timing of it. And when you're talking about something like Telesaur, it's really creepy to think that in a moment of crisis, like what if Venezuela is getting like invaded by U.S. military? Would Zuckerberg get a call from someone in the U.S. government and be like, okay, it's time to take down the Telesur? Yes. That's yes. the fucking scary part. It's like the opposite of what we claim we're doing for humanitarian reasons during like things like the Arab Spring where we're like, right. we're going to call Twitter, like the Obama administration called Twitter and told them to keep it online in Egypt. Because that's how much we care. It's like now they can do the opposite here to like the shit we see. It's just so scary. Yeah, we're talking about days after the assassination attempt against a democratically elected leader that the U.S. uh, was uh, allegedly privy to. And I'll get into that later. Um, But yeah, I mean, we're talking about days after this event happens, all the corporate media is somehow calling it a false flag and an inside job. Because of course, when it serves the Washington consensus, suddenly that's not a conspiracy theory. If it involves U.S. enemies, that's just uh, that's just normal. But if you dare to say that about anything about the U.S. or its Western allies, then you are insane. You're marginalized and you're a kook. There's barely any news outlets that's talking about what is actually going on in Venezuela and providing that really crucial perspective. And to shut down not only Venezuela analysis, but Telesaur during this crucial time, I think is very, very telling. You know, and, and I really need to mention the fact that Liz Wall, Liz Wall, for people who 
know who I am and, and know what happened at RT. She was the stooge, the neocon marionette who quit live on air because of Putin propaganda uh, a day or two after I made my statement and legitimized RT a little too much. So they pulled the plug, this neocon think tank, the FBI uh, spawn off of PNAC, pulled the plug, used Liz as this pawn to delegitimize RT, to delegitimize me. So where is she now? Well, she's working with NATO and now she's actually coordinating with the Atlantic Council with their digital <laughs> forensic research lab doing talks so she's about still how hanging to, out with good old Bellingcat. It, it's unbelievable. Elliot Higgins. I mean, it's it just, you cannot make this up. It's seriously house of card shit going on. And, um, and the fact that Google has been funding Belly and Cat for so long is just also just so intriguing. Because why was Google so ahead of this, you know, on the tip of the spear of this before fake news hysteria even became a thing? They were actively trying to fight Russian disinformation by funding Belly and Cat? It's just so bizarre. Yeah, and take a look at Proper Not. Um, they are just on top of it, dude. I, uh, I, you know, I just posted that some guy called me towing the Kremlin line because I criticized the Democrats, and all of a sudden, Proper Not within one second was like, he knows, he understands, and I was like, wait, whoever's running this account is clearly just like waiting for every instance to try to like inject that narrative and to be like, yep. This is exactly what's going on. Like anyone who talks about this is towing the Kremlin line. And I just looked at their Twitter, just a cursory search, and they are constantly promoting Charles Arkey. They're constantly promoting Oz and they're constantly promoting Shane Bauer. Wow. And it's just really curious to me Whoa, that proper not damn that dude. proper not is doing this. And I saw Shane Bauer actually attacking Michael Tracy, who you know was one of the only people who was going out on a limb and basically saying all the stuff that we are about Alex Jones. And Shane Bauer was like basically just said like I hope all of Alex Jones' followers was worth it for you to like defend him. And it's like, dude, you were just the person a couple months ago calling to shut down Medium. Like, this is scary shit, man. Oh, he shut down medium because of Caitlyn yeah, Johnstone? Yeah, he's on the tip of the spear trying to completely deplatform anyone who he considers, like, not part of his little crew, the Syria regime change crew and all that. And, you know, people like us who have been called conspiracy theorists, we question that, we dare to question 9-11. Um, we dare to talk about anthrax attacks, and we dare to question things like the chemical weapons narrative that we've been fed by intelligence agencies. And we see that CNN calls Jimmy Dore conspiracy theorists. We saw that of he course. conflated him with white nationalists and pedophiles and ISIS videos. So we understand anyone who's been under the crosshairs of this entire operation for the last couple of years understands where it's going to go. Absolutely. I've seen some good counter arguments to some of the things that we're saying. And I, but I think that they're all, they all, what we're saying is true. And some of these counter arguments are also true. Let's talk like about them. what are ben, the counter arguments. Well, I saw, I saw Ben Dixon saying that if a person of color tried to do like what Alex Jones is doing, like threatening Robert Mueller, like live on air, they'd already be raided by the FBI yesterday. And yeah, that's, that's true. There's a definitely an element of privilege to why someone like Alex Jones out of Texas, a white guy can do what he's doing. But I think that it's, I do think it's short-sighted to see this as some kind of defense of a guy who puts out hate speech and, and borderline violent content, because you can also make the argument, and I don't think anyone can effectively argue against this, that Fox News and people like Laura Ingram, Hannity, Tucker Carlson, and just Fox News at large, and even right-wing talk radio, that poses a greater threat than Alex Jones ever could. So 
I think that it's a little bit of a stretch to say that Alex Jones's hate speech had become so extreme that that's why he's now been deflatformed when Fox News is always going to have a YouTube channel. Exactly. No, exactly. And all these people who quote unquote foment discord and discontent. I mean, what are they doing when they promote war and militarism that actually costs the lives of millions of people? What do they, what do we do about them spreading conspiracy theories um, that, you know, actually war crimes happen as a result and these people are never deplatformed. Fox News is the most disgusting example of just unabashed, just blatant racism, ginning up fear of minorities and greasing the skids for war after war. Yeah, they There's just no had... accountability. I know. It's, it's nuts. I mean, this is why when you really look at this overall, I think that you cannot argue that this, you know, you can't say that this was just an organic deplatforming. It's also bothersome too. Every now that Alex Jones is being removed from all the social media channels, you know, then I see that trope coming up again. It's like 9/11 truth things get conflated with the most deplorable Sandy Hook conspiracy theories and stuff like that. And I saw I was watching the debate between Sam Biddle and Glenn Greenwald. Greenwald made a lot of good points about this. Um, and then Sam Biddle starts out this debate saying that Alex Jones promotes things like lizard people and that 9-11 was the result of magnetic waves. And I mean, look, I get it that Alex Jones is a total fucking nut job and a charlatan, but is there not any value in actually being like accurate in the way that you talk about him? It doesn't even mean a little bit to be like, here's actually what Alex Jones really talks about. I mean, I'm not defending him, but he doesn't talk about those things. It's just weird to be so sloppy about the way that you even criticize Alex Jones, because that's, to me, that just reflects a lack of, like, integrity and accuracy. Don't you just want to be accurate in the way they're reporting about him, even? Oh, you think Sam Biddle gives a shit about being accurate? (laughs) I mean, that's what's just so irritating about it, you know? And here he is as the guy on the opposing side to Glenn Greenwald. He just starts out the debate just saying just totally off-the-wall shit. It's like, yeah... We get it. Conspiracy theorists are crazy. David Icke used to say things about reptile people. But even, I mean, even he doesn't say that anymore. Not defending him either. Just be like accurate in the way that you discuss these things. It's not difficult to do. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's so easy. It's like, it's so easy. Of course, everyone supports Alex Jones being removed. No one wants to see Alex Jones doing all this shit. No one wants to see him harassing the Sandy Hook victims. But that's the whole point. Um, when you cheer on and this the the removal of someone like Alex Jones, you're opening the path um, for God knows what. I mean, you're basically giving a green light for those think tanks working in concert with tech companies again to dictate what our reality is for us. And I feel like we're smarter than that. I mean, I just I just have more faith in humans to become critical thinkers and media literate themselves and to determine, okay, Alex Jones is insane. I mean, that, that's the problem here. Um, we couldn't have picked a better candidate to launch this exactly. first major phase of the combating fake news model. I mean, that, he's absolutely the perfect candidate. He is a dangerous charlatan who spews disinfo on a daily basis and has, in the last two years, insinuated committing violence and having his followers do it. Perfect candidate. And it's absurd that all these people now are putting all this heat on Jack Dorsey of Twitter, who I don't think is like a a hero or anything or an amazing guy. They're all saying like, why aren't you banning Alex Jones now? It's like he's calling for violence. And it's like, well, he's always been. I mean, not always, but he's. So is Trump. This is not new, man. Yeah, so is Trump. Trump just called to annihilate several countries, threatening Iran, threatening North Korea. 
So you, it's, you could tell this is selective and this is some kind of outrage campaign that's not it's not above board. Let's just put it that way. No, and I do think there, the Sandy Hook shit and a lot of, and I've seen some of Alex Jones's rants in the last couple of months. He is totally off the handle. He was like saying our Republicans are going to get like executed by leftists and that the, we need to start the civil war. I mean, all of these things plus the Sandy Hook stuff, I could see how that would um, violate whatever defamation, libel, violate terms of services. But this is a coordinated ban because there's a larger operation at hand. I wanted to read a really quick segment from Rolling Stone. Matt Tybee's been writing really good articles about this. I read one of his articles last podcast, but I wanted to follow up on a new article that he wrote. Um, and just a quote from it. He says, both the Jones situation and the Facebook Atlantic Council deletions seem an effort to fulfill a request made last year by the Senate Judiciary Committee. Last October, Facebook, Google, and Twitter were asked by Hawaii Senator Mazi Hizono to draw up a, quote, mission statement to, quote, prevent the foment of discord. So again, very vague generalities that could apply to anyone perceived as fringe. Um, And then he goes on to say, when Google announced it was tightening its algorithm to push, quote, more authoritative content last April, it defined fake news as blatantly misleading, low quality, offensive or downright false information. However, we know that that's not at all what happened and that they dictated along with whatever the hell, you know, the proper knots and all of these corporate media outlets that that said, you know, made that declarative statement like these are the fake news sites. These are the Russian agent sites. Um, we know what happened. Alternate, Truthdig, World Socialist website. I mean, the list goes on and on. Counterpunch, all of their traffic just plummeted. And they're still trying to pick up the pieces from that. So, I mean, it just it just proves that the left was targeted. And I think another really bizarre point that I've been seeing many times made by people on the left or even so-called socialists who are saying, why are you, you know, you should cheer on the deplatforming of white supremacists and neo-Nazis because if you're using the left as some sort of argument to defend Alex Jones, the left has been targeted for decades and like it's, it's always going to be targeted. It's like, that's not a reason to just be like, oh, well... Let's just not defend like leftists being deplatformed now under this wave of Russiagate fake news hysteria. Like I'm going to continue to say that because we haven't all been completely deplatformed yet. So like it's just bizarre to just give up completely and be like, whatever, Um, this has always happened to the left. So why do you care? Like who cares? We should applaud Alex Jones being removed. It's just weird. Well, it's weird because the left has always been deplatformed. So you just look terrible defending the deplatforming of the right. But it's like, that's such a myopic it's it's just such a narrow view of it and i that's what's so infuriating because we have seen this for so many years that this plan was being put into place abby yeah. and i guess that's the part that i'm not trying to act like we're soothsayers or anything but like i feel like you can't look at it out of context you just can't what do you think you know is going to happen where do you see it going and what do you think people should do who are content creators and who are worried about you know even me with media roots who uses a wordpress backend well that's i think that that's okay because we're just licensing their technology yeah. so i think that what people have to worry about is like if you're being hosted on like mainstream servers like try to so i think let's start at the bottom so So either host your own content off your own actual server. You can host a web server from your own home. It's it takes a lot of work and the website may not be very fast, but you can do it. 
then also consider not using like a mainstream company to host your server like Amazon. Because as we saw many, many years ago, Amazon got a call from Joseph Lieberman to remove WikiLeaks.org. And it got removed for a few days. I don't know if you remember that. And a company like Amazon ran by Jeff Bezos has too clo- cozy of a relationship with the U.S. government. So try to find a server that's more independent or, or ran by someone who has, and I, and I guess people might accuse me of being a free speech absolutist or even bringing up the term free speech, but people who have more free speech ideals who run web servers, there are companies you can find that do pride themselves in that. Seek out, if you're going to use private platforms, only use it to supplement material that you've already released other places or that you've already made available other places. I think this is a very important thing. Don't, I'm not saying cut out uploading videos to YouTube because they can still give you a greater reach, but also consider making it available to download to people off of your own server or off of some other kind of media sharing site. Um, a lot of these file sharing websites like WeTransfer, Mega, Mediafire, they don't crack down on things like controversial content. They just mostly crack down on piracy. So that's an alternative to solution to if your videos are pulled off of YouTube, maybe consider uploading your content there instead too. One of these things we were talking about in the last episode was the idea of hosting your own video. That's very difficult to do, and that's beyond most people's capabilities, even if you are paying for an expensive web server to do it. That's very difficult for people to do, and that's one of the sort of ways that YouTube has gotten us to buy into their system is because they have disposable amounts of money. They're paying for insane amounts of server space and bandwidth you know, speeds that most people would not be able to afford or accomplish on their own. So that's a little bit of a dilemma. But websites like Vimeo do seem to have more leniency towards what type of content is on there. The only problem is those videos are not going to go viral and get the same reach. So there's really no easy solution to this. But I think in just in a broad general sense, it's don't rely on private platforms to, to have your message get out there. And also don't rely on them to back up your content. Like, for example... If you run a WordPress blog that's on the WordPress website, um, if you're putting out controversial content, you might want to consider also publishing that content on another site, making a mirror of it on your own server. And, and you know if that ever goes down, at least you'll have it all saved on your own server. So these are all different ways you can circumvent this in the future. But there really is no easy way out of this because we've bought into all this this idea that the social media networks were an equal playing field and we poured so much energy into it and, and relied on them to get our message out. I mean, I think social media has helped us, for example, get our message out. Yeah, of course. Immensely. So to think of not relying on it anymore, but we've already seen our exposure dwindle. Of we, course. You know, I don't know if I would describe it as shadow banning, but we've seen Media Roots reach on Facebook dwindle over time inexplicably since all this started happening. I don't think that's a coincidence. And also we can't even advertise through these platforms mm-hmm. anymore. They won't mm-hmm. let us, or Facebook specifically won't let us. So I don't know exactly what to do, but I think relying on them and especially putting your life's work into them and not making backup copies is at this point should be clear to any activist or journalist is a terrible idea. And we, you cannot do that anymore. Well, thank God I had a mirror of all of my Empire Files episodes because, man, I mean, if they were just on Telesaur's channel, I would be 
they could easily just be removed anytime. And so, but then again, that's still on YouTube. So I definitely need to, to make a mirror and put it on Vimeo and some other backup sites. And also I have media roots mirrored, but yeah, I mean, it's just, you never know what's going to come next. And so we really have to be prepared for the worst. Um, I would recommend, like my brother said, just trying to, uh, you know, put, put your content in a bunch of different areas and try yeah. to maybe generate a mailing list or something of, of your followers or people who, who follow your content so you can connect with them if you're expunged from any of these platforms that you're, that you're managing right now. Yeah, I mean, we already know that there's probably tons of corporations and stuff pulling user data off of Facebook, even what's publicly available. And this might seem like a double-edged sword idea, but I think it might be necessary moving forward for an organization like archive.org to start siphoning and just at least archiving publicly available data on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, just so that these companies can't erase history. I mean, but that all the double-edged sword of that is like something you say that was like marked for public, something like then it'll be like all available on an archive and it will never be able to be deleted. So that's the that's the negative part of that. But we might need something like that because we cannot trust these companies to preserve history. Like even like Facebook's been around long enough now where it's like a part of history. It has right. a piece of internet history in it. It's privately owned. Like that's in some ways that's kind of public interest type of stuff now. So I feel and I'm not saying like I'm not, I don't, by that, I don't mean like your private Facebook account should be available to everybody to see. I just mean things like on Facebook's public social media network, like Facebook pages, discussion threads, things like that. Um, they can just arbitrarily remove any of that at any time. So we just need to be really aware of how that, all that stuff from history could just vanish overnight. And that's really kind of just creepy. To think that at least the internet is fragmented enough where someone can't just go in and delete it, you know, like delete like a mm -hmm. bunch of it now. It doesn't work that way anymore. But with these private companies, they, it can be. Like they can just keep fucking delete everything. Right. So. Yeah, and as long as they're uh, fomenting discord, then, you know, that's all it takes. So whoever's definition of fomenting discord is from the U.S. government. I mean, yeah, it's or pretty much everyone change. who listens to this podcast and everyone who's questioning Russiagate, anyone who's questioning the war narratives, um, that's us. So let's just be very aware of what's going on. And I would just, uh, you know, urge everyone to do what my brother's saying and try to um, diversify your information output. And, and if, if you are a content creator and keep everything backed up. Um, yeah. I just talked to Kyle Kalinske because he's freaking out about this and he's one of the only people who's like main, more mainstream that is really going out on a limb. And he was like, I have nothing backed up for my YouTube channel. I mean, we've already know that they've demonetized everything. And that was the yeah. first kind of wave, like the normalization yeah. of like demonetizing everyone's videos. And then now here we are. So, well, and, and people like him, you know, there's there's a nice convenient way to upload videos on YouTube now that's gotten us even more in, wrapped up into a dilemma. And I don't know if Kyle does this, but I, I'm assuming Jimmy Dore might do it this way where you record your video as a live stream and you just click it to save it as an upload. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of people do that now. And that's even worse because that means you don't even render like a video on your computer. So you don't even have a backup copy. It's just on the internet, like only on YouTube. So 
I would recommend, you know, if you do if you do that, to download those after the fact, just so you have a backup copy of them on your own computer. There's actually a pretty good program that I used for a very heavy agenda. Um, and it's got a cheesy ass name, but it's called Mac X YouTube Downloader. Unfortunately, it's only Mac because I'm a Mac user right now. But there's other software for PC too that lets you rip YouTube videos um, and, and pretty high quality. So if that's the case, if you run a YouTube channel and you haven't actually backed up in your videos, or you don't have renders of them on your own hard drive, go through your channel and, and download them. Um, it's, it's, it'll take you some time, but, it's, but you, at least you'll have copies of them that way. Yeah. And, and we're about to record another episode in a couple of days about all the foreign policy updates. We're going to give Israel updates, Venezuela, Iran, North Korea, and all the Saudi Arabia, Yemen stuff with a bunch of history about Saudi Arabia. So tune into that. We're going to wrap it up now. Um, but let us know what you think. I mean, this is definitely a really complicated situation, but I really, just really would love to hear your feedback and what you guys think. And if you have any kind of dissenting opinions, we'd love to, to hear that too. And like I said before, go ahead and email me if you want a little voice memo. Um, we're going to start collecting those and playing them from donors, Patreon users, and also just listeners. So send that to Abby, A-B-B-Y, at TheEmpireFiles.tv. And um, yeah, I'll check it out. So thanks so much for listening. Thanks for donating. You guys rock. We really appreciate the support. Thank you so much. Take care, everybody.